12 days ago, 41 of us from First Community Church stood together very near the site where Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the reading that you just heard. We were about one-third of the way down from the Mount of Olives, and we looked out in front of us, and there was that beautiful scene of modern Jerusalem dominated by the Temple Mount, by the, the um, Dome of the Rock. You've seen that photo before, have you not? Maybe you've not been there, but you've seen that photo. It's a Muslim mosque that now sits where Herod the Great's temple had stood so many thousands of years before. It's an amazing scene, a beautiful scene, and it's, very, it's really not very hard to imagine what that scene would have looked like if we had been with Jesus and his disciples there on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago. Now, you want to eliminate about 80% of the buildings and the structures that are, that are there, which means that Herod the Great's temple would shine even more greatly. Josephus, the ancient historian, says that the temple was, was made of like a mount, a mount of white marble topped with gleaming gold. It was a structure known around the ancient Near East as one of the most beautiful they'd ever seen. Herod the Great wanted to be sure that people understood how strong he was as a leader and a politician. He had many structures like this around the Palestine area. Imagine standing there on the, on the side of the Mount of Olives with Jesus and Peter and James and John and Andrew, and seeing that gleaming temple there before us. Now go with the disciples earlier in the text, standing with Jesus at the temple itself. And you heard the voice of the one who said, Lord, look, look at this building, it's amazing. What, what huge stones there are here. This is unbelievable. It's although, it's as always what he's saying is, this is a powerful symbol, isn't it? This is a sign that things are okay, isn't it? it everything's going to be fine, is, is it not, Lord? Is it not gonna be that way? And then Jesus says, I tell you, every stone will be thrown down. That was around the year 30, A.D. or so, Herod the Great, the brilliant politician that he was, he was also a, a despicable and neurotic one, which maybe those two things go together. I'm not too sure about that. But now here we are in the time of Jesus, and there are wars and rumors of wars. There's hints of rebellion within the people of Israel. There are signs that they're going to try to overthrow Rome. Apocalyptic writing and literature is, is everywhere. Things are dicey, politically speaking, but still, this mountain of white marble, this beautiful structure with the gold on top is still shining before them, and it, and it is for them a sign. No matter what happens, our temple is still here. Our God is still with us. Everything's going to be fine. I isn't it, Jesus? Isn't it? And he essentially says, no. And then later that afternoon, the disciples and Jesus hike down through the Kidron Valley, back up onto Mount, the Mount of Olives. It's not a long hike. You could do it easily in an hour or so, maybe less, really. And he's gathered his closest friends together. And now they're saying, is this the end of the world? Are things about to be torn apart? What's going on? Can you give us a sign? Let us know. Help us understand here. His reply is kind of strange. Weird and unusual. Biblical scholars describe Jesus' words here as the quote, the little apocalypse. It sounds very much like the kind of language you would find if you flipped over real quick to Revelation and just started skimming through. You'd hear similar kinds of things being said. No wonder it sounds weird to us. It's strange, almost otherworldly kind of language. If I were there with, with Peter, James, and John, and, and Andrew, I'd be saying, Lord, could you just speak straight? Just what's going to happen and how will we know what to do? Please. 
Now that, this may all feel like theoretical kind of discussion about Mark and his audience and all the folks that he's writing to and the concerns that the disciples and later the church would have. But think about this for a moment. Consider that when Mark's gospel is written, probably around 73 or 74 AD, it's at least three years after the temple was destroyed. Mark's congregation already knows that what Jesus predicted 40 years before has come true. For Mark's congregation, this isn't something that happened in the past. This isn't something that's going to happen way off out in the future somewhere. It's happened in their very lifetimes. They've seen it. The temple was destroyed by Rome. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Jews were slaughtered by Rome to put down the rebellion. They completely destroyed almost all of, of Jerusalem. The temple was burnt, burnt to a crisp. Every stone was, was taken down to the ground and just pulverized. It's flat. The temple mount is nothing but a trash heap now. For Mark's audience, this is a real question. What's going on in our world? What's happening? What about us? God, have you forgotten us? Will you come and rescue us? Will you take care of us? In antiquity, when you read the phrase rumors of war, that really was a real thing for them. There might have been a war perhaps, say, in northern Greece, what we would call northern Greece. Well, by the time the report of that war gets all the way around the Mediterranean Sea down to Jerusalem area, it could be weeks or even months before people have heard what happened and all the stories that build around it, the way the story would change, it's hard to tell fact from fiction, which actually adds to their anxiety and their fear and their worry. Well, it's 2,000 years later and we have the internet and we have the instant news access, but I still think we know what this feels like. I remember my father talking about how he felt when he was eight years old, living in Long Beach, California, on December 8th, 1941, the day after we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. My dad told us all the time about what it was like as a little eight-year-old boy living next to a vacant lot when on December 9th, an aircraft, an, an, air, an anti-aircraft gun was built on the vacant lot there. He woke up every night throughout that entire war looking at that gun, wondering if it would ever be fired, worrying that we might be under attack at any moment. There were rumors constantly, especially on the West Coast, that the enemy was near, that danger was lurking. Well, that was in the 40s. Maybe most of us weren't around then. What about September 11th? Do you remember the feelings we had on that day? Do you remember the rumors that were flying around? Julie and I lived in Atlanta at that time. Some of the terrorists actually had trained and learned how to fly airplanes not far from where we lived. The rumors there were just constant and rampant. Not, I'm embarrassed to say this, but there was one moment when Julie and I were driving down the street and we saw somebody on the corner and we thought, both of us out loud, that he doesn't look good. There's something about him. I can't believe that we were looking at another human being through fear-induced eyes. We almost immediately caught ourselves. But, but did you feel that too? Did you feel who's next? When's the next plane going to go down? Where's the next attack going to occur? There was that palpable sense of fear. Mark's audience is feeling this same way. Somehow, something, something is wrong. What can you do for us, God? That's why this apocalypse apocalyptic language is so powerful for Mark's audience. What Jesus is saying is, you might hear wars and rumors of wars, you might hear others who are coming, but beware, be ready, and no matter what is happening, continue forward with your mission. 
continue to be the ones who spread the good news of God's love for the world. Did you hear the phrase at the end that, that, that Missy read? For this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. It's but the beginning of the birth pangs. It's like Jesus is saying, it's, it's tough right now, it hurts right now, but something new is happening. Something new is, is coming to the world. And then to make himself clear, later on in chapter 13, Jesus proclaims to his disciples and essentially to the church that Mark is writing and eventually to us, no one knows. No one knows. No one knows the hour of the second coming, neither, neither the angels nor the sun even, S-O-N, the sun. No one knows. Isn't it interesting that there's this whole cottage industry of books like the Left Behind books and back in the 70s it was the late great planet Earth. All these books have come out, come out and said, here's what we've studied, we've learned from the Bible, here are the signs. I, I, every time that happens, I want to write to the authors and say, well, I've written to the authors a couple of times and say to them, do you remember what Jesus said in Mark 13? Do you remember what he says in the Gospel of Matthew? No one knows. If Jesus is the one who I'm trying to follow, I'm gonna take his word for it. No one knows. Let's not worry about that. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to understand. As frightening as all this is, this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Move forward in faith and hope. Of course, you and I know any kind of a change brings that sense of, of of disillusionment, that sense of wonder and worry and, and anxiety. Even a positive change can cause us to feel like things are a little bit upside down. It's almost two years ago this week that Julie and I flew to Columbus to meet the governing board so that I could, be, uh, I could meet with them to find, so they could meet me as the new candidate for a senior minister here at, at First Community Church. After about three months of living here in Columbus, we were so excited and so, so thrilled to be here. We tried out all these new restaurants. We joined the museum. We've been to the zoo. We've been to football games at Ohio State and basketball games and all the rest. It was just, we're just thrilled. Then one morning, a few months in, I sort of woke up and I, I just had this nagging bit of sadness. As exciting and as thrilled as we were to be here, I, I woke up one morning remembering our friend's the Hamiltons and the R's and, and the Powers, three pastors and, and their spouses that we got together with every month. And now to do that, it takes some work to see them, even just to talk to them. I, I, I re realized I missed our boys, Nate and Stephen, who are young adults now and, and doing very well. But I missed the fact that they used to just sometimes just drop by out of the blue at our house in, in Kansas City and come in to say hello. Most of the time that was around six o'clock at dinner. <clears throat> But sometimes it would just be in the middle of the day just because they wanted to come by and see our dogs, uh, Zeke and, and Layla, and say hello to the dogs. Now we have to plan and schedule and get calendars and buy plane tickets and spend money and do all the rest. And I'm just, I'm not complaining. I'm just describing that, that sense of sadness that was there. You see, what, what, what we began something new, and yet that also meant that something else was ending. But what did Jesus say? This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. In the meantime, continue to do what you've been called to do. Even when it feels like the end of the world is coming, Jesus is saying essentially to his disciples and to us, we have a mission, we have a word. Let's not be afraid to take that word to the streets. In fact, last week, I met with Paul Anderson. He's our new executive director of operations here at the church. It was, it's all, it was a great week last week watching Paul just scurry around this campus and all the work that he's doing and already preparing for in the next six months. But in this one meeting, there were four of us, 
Paul was there, and Paul said, we've got to talk about ways we can expand our membership and, and strengthen our ministry and grow, and, and just got into all this, and we actually, and then he said, these are his words, we have a strong message, and our world needs it. Don't tell Paul I said this, but he sounds just like Jesus. <laughs> it's true. We have a message. We have a word, a message that I didn't bring. It's been here for over 100 years of love and acceptance and inclusion given not just to our neighbors, but to, to Columbus, to Ohio, to the world for, for God's sake, for God's sake. So even though things might feel dicey and strange and upside down, we have a mission still before us. Do you know the name Abraham Davenport? Does that name ring a bell at all? In the 1700s, he was a politician in Connecticut. There was a day in the state house when in New England it was, it's been described as New England's dark day. It's a combination of smoke and fog, heavy cloud cover, when it felt like day turned into night. So dark that they needed candles to light their way. Well, the Connecticut state legislature was underway and Davenport was one of the persons who was there and a, a move came to the floor to adjourn. This might, this might be the end of the world. Let us go home to our families. Let us go out and, and, and get out of here. We, something's going on with our world. And, and he, he said, no, I would, I would counter the adjournment, he said. <clears throat> if it's not the end of the world, we have nothing to worry about. If it is the end of the world, he said, I want to be found doing my duty bring more candles. I love that story. I, I love the way it speaks not only to our, our, the greatness of our country, but to the greatness of our mission in this church. If the lights go out now, that doesn't stop us. Bring more candles. We'll move forward in faith, doing all we can to get this word out yet. Yet. Sometimes there's that nagging question, isn't there? at the center of our souls. Maybe it's not for you, but maybe I've spoken to enough of you. I know, I know it's there. This nagging thought that, that won't go away. When, when do you feel most challenged in your life? When do you feel like really something new might be happening? Is it a moment when everything's great, kids are fine, job's well, income's steady, all, everything's fine? Or is it in those moments when you're not sure, when it feels like you've been disrupted, Something new is happening. Will Wellamon was at a, a funeral. He's a favorite preacher of mine. He and his wife were at a funeral for his friend. The casket was there for everyone. It was kind of one of those fire and brimstone churches, though. The preacher didn't say much about the man who'd passed away. He said, it's too late for him. What about you? What about your life? Are you going to give your heart and mind to Jesus now? Not an appropriate thing to do at a funeral ever. Afterwards, they went to lunch, and Wilamon said to his wife, I just, I just felt so uncomfortable. I, I'm just shocked. She had a different look, a, a pensive look on her face. She said it was terrible. It was offensive. But it's true. What about my life today? What about my life tomorrow? What about our lives together as husband and wives? What is next before us? Have you experienced that before? I suspect you have. Maybe the doctor sat down with you or someone you love and said, Yes, it's, it's cancer. We have to have a surgery. There needs to be radiation treatment. It's going to be a tough road. Maybe it was a conversation with your spouse, a former spouse. See, she said, or he said, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with this relationship. I want to start again, but not with you. 
Maybe your boss called you in and, and she said, we're reorganizing, we're reshuffling, we're changing things around, whatever words they might use, but still you feel like you've been fired. You gave your heart and soul and mind to that company years, decades, some of you even. Oh, we're reshuffling. Thank you for being here. Here's your box to take your things home with you. It's disarming. It's, 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 it's totally rearranging your life. What do you do now? What, what do you do in that moment? Well, there's a word that Jesus spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago that Mark shared with the church and he shares with us today. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. It may feel like everything is upside down, but in that upside down place, maybe it's there that you finally see things right side up in a way you've never seen before. Kathleen Norris tells a story of her young friend who was stricken with cancer, a brilliant young scholar, professor in a university, a great writer. Cancer came in and she spent years and years, there were three times in her fight against the cancer when they thought she was dying. Somehow she survived, miraculously she came through it. The cancer went into remission. And in the conversation with her young friend, she said, you know what? I don't ever want to go back to the days before the cancer diagnosis because today I live and love each day. When the sun comes up in the east, I thank God for another beautiful morning. I would never, ever go back. Her friend said to her, we've had so many years of struggle, haven't we? And she said, yes, isn't it a blessing? Do, Do you hear that? Is cancer a blessing? No. Is moving forward in faith and hope, even if you've only got one day left, a blessing? Of course it is. Of course it is. This is Thanksgiving week, you know. This is the time when our country will pause for a day or so to say thank you. Think think about what that means, by the way, just an aside here. Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, all religions in the United States of America will take a moment to say thank you. Atheists can say thank you. They don't say it to God. They say it to each other or to their friends and family. It's a time when all of us can be united. What a beautiful thing that is. So here's what I'm wondering. On Thursday, when you're with your family or your friends and you're offering a word of thanks, not out loud, but silently, will you do this with me? I'm going to do this on Thursday. Julie and I are flying to Kansas City. We're taking our boys to a nice restaurant for Thanksgiving meal. After the prayer is uttered silently, I'm going to ask God, God, what's next? In my ministry, in my marriage, in my life. What are you calling me to next? Will it feel like things are upside down? Could it possibly feel if you do that, that things are, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about it like this. I got to this point in the sermon at the nine o'clock service and a baby started crying really loud, just really loud. I said, it might feel like that. (laughs) But ask that simple question. God, for me now, on this day, and whatever days I have left, what, what is next? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, as we offer thanks on this day and every day this week especially, open our hearts and minds that we might be more than ready and willing to receive you into our lives so that you can carry us forward to the days that are before us. In Christ's name, amen.